10 years ago, um, I had a sabbatical, 2013. Um, you're supposed to have them every seven years, but um, anyhow, I'm still waiting for my next one. Maybe I'll have one at some point. But um, sabbatical is a period of time off for three months um, for, a, for, for a, a period of time just to reflect and think. And anyhow, 10 years ago, I went on a thing called the Camino, which um, uh, a few of us have been on uh, from here, actually. Richard Gibson and Ken and myself and a few others, uh, and Roland recently, whatever, went on the Camino. It's basically a, a, a pilgrimage across north um, Spain. Uh, lots of ups and downs. I remember a particular moment, though. Um, sort of, uh, I went to, say, 10 years ago, and uh, we were entering a beautiful sort of mountain range in Galicia, uh, which um, was amazing. But there was a one particular point that near the top of a the particular range is called El Sobrero, which sounds something out of a spaghetti western with Clint Eastwood. But El Sobrero um, is, a, is, a, is a little village where um, uh, San Francisco of Assisi uh, used to spend a lot of time about a thousand years ago. So, um, uh, but anyhow, I stopped over there. And then I remember in the morning getting up, used to, we used to get up very early in the morning to start our walk each day. Uh, altogether, walked about 500 kilometers during that period of time. We used to walk about 30 kilometers a day. But get up early in the morning, and, and reaching this particular place on the, on the mountain, looking down, have you ever been so high that you look down where you're over the clouds? Have you ever experienced that? Very low clouds. A stunning moment where I remember stopping, and I remember very significantly stopping and reflecting and thinking. And it was a place of incredible peace um, that struck me. Past few weeks, we've been... Uh, uh, digging our way into Romans. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, it has been pretty weighty the last few weeks. Uh, whether you've been doing it in your uh, connect groups or whether we've just been doing it on Sundays, it's been very weighty. We've been into the, uh, the valley of sin, uh, trying to work out why is the world the way it is? Why it is broken? Why is, it, is there sin around? And then... Um, into that uh, section as well, we've been, um, sorry, that's a bit of Galicia, that's a bit of El Sobrero looking over the top. Um, and then uh, we've been on this, uh, this journey, and last week, uh, Mary really, really helpfully helped us understand about salvation. And uh, it was a glorious, glorious morning, actually, in many ways. At the 10.45, we had three people give their lives to the Lord for the first time. We had a number of people recommit their lives to Jesus. It was a, a lovely time to be reminded that even though we recognize sin, that actually Jesus has rescued us, just like uh, that lady mentioned just now, Hadea. Anyhow, here we are, three weeks to go. How is your level of peace? How are you feeling? You all look very chilled. Maybe that's just your body. But peace of mind is a fascinating thing, isn't it? People yearn, desire peace of mind above all things, don't they? I went to Waterstones yesterday just to look around. Sometimes just go in the bookshop just to look around. Never buy a book, but go and read the books. Um, I don't know whether you ever do that sort of thing. Um, but I went in there. And, you know, it's fascinating the number of self-help, business, success, holiday Things that, that basically, if you like, fill our mind with the idea that if you do this or that or whatever, you can know real peace. Ultimately, though, I think we've been around long enough to know whatever we yearn for, whatever we think we put ourselves into, 
actually the things that we commit ourselves to never really satisfy. You can, you know, you can never have enough, if you like, and it never really satisfies. Like Richard Carlson said, as long as you think more is better, you'll never be satisfied. Could it be, Paul is saying here, that the answer to real peace is found beyond this world? That actually in a, a, another spiritual realm, in another realm, Augustine said, as you know, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So as we discovered last week, what we begin at the beginning of Romans 5 is we move into, if you like, a courtroom scene. A courtroom scene explaining the good news. And this word that came out last week is the word justification, which really means to declare righteous. If you like, it pictures a moment. A moment. Um, How many of you have been on jury service or anything like that? Right, quite a number of people here. There's um, Pat at the back still on jury service at the moment. And she can't probably wait for that moment in some ways, uh, even though it's going to be challenging, is when the judge gives their verdict. And in a sense, the verdict's being said here, this particular one, the judge is declaring someone not guilty. Not guilty. Justification here. God declares that a sinner... All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is made righteous when he places his faith in Jesus. And that means a really definite thing that Paul is talking about here. That that person is acquitted. They are free. All charges are dropped. The undeserved grace of God. If you were around last week, the McDonald's moment. If You remember that. And if you don't know that, ask someone else who was there last week. The McDonald's moment. We have to either accept or reject it. Jesus has paid the price. This is the basis, if you like, of what we're going to dig into now in chapter 5. If you want to follow it, uh, we're going to be working through particularly the first five verses. uh, And it's page 1132 in your your church Bible. So here we have it. Chapter 5 and verse 1. And what we need to see first here are the tenses. Therefore, which is always good, therefore, we have been justified. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. So firstly, we have been justified. What it means is it's a past thing. It's happened. We don't have to try anymore. We don't have to do anymore. It's been done. There's no such thing as an unjustified Christian. If you have trusted him fully for yourself, you are his child. Have you ever thought about that? I am the child of the living God. He is my father. However we feel about that, that is true. And imagine, though, the questions of the Jewish readers or the audience that he was being read out to in the, in the church in Rome. It says, but if we follow you, how can we be sure? Is it safe from all the problems of life? What about future trouble? Can Jesus be Can God be trusted? Can he be trusted? Paul says, this is what he's stating in these few verses, resoundedly, yes. Yes. God justifies. He justifies every single one of us. You are righteous. It is true. Sometimes we have to stop and remind ourselves of that truth. If we come to know Jesus, 
we are justified. We're right with God. We have relationship with him. But there are five things I want to draw out from these next few verses that are amazing realities from knowing Jesus. And it's just a great reminder of all we have in Jesus, which we need to know. Firstly, verse 1, peace with God. Peace with God. Now what it's saying here is we have peace with God because we've been justified. We have peace. It's a past thing. It's being dealt with. And in the present, that means that you now have peace with God. What it's talking about here is not D-Day, which began the process of trying to win the war. It's V-E-Day. We are in the place where the fighting is over. The guns have been put down. There is peace. There is restoration of broken relationship with God. He's saying to you, At one point, we were separated from God. Now, because of what Jesus has done by dying on the cross, we have a relationship with him. We have peace with God. We, if you like, are in relationship with him. We are restored. Like two enemies becoming friends. Like a couple on the verge of divorce rekindling their love. Like two communities that didn't trust one another coming together. This is what has come together. The brokenness with God is now brought together, and we have peace with God through Jesus. Peace with God, you see, comes before the peace of God. It is our present, ongoing relationship with him. And really, it's a simple question. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? When I asked that question, Billy Graham once had a book called Peace with God. Because ultimately, we are called to have peace with God. With him. If you're not sure about that, then you need to make sure you make your peace with God. If you are someone who's asked Jesus into your life, if you are a Christian, you can say that with confidence. You can say that with confidence. Remember, a friend of mine, um, Bob, in um, Portsmouth, uh, was a fascinating character. I got to know him early on in my time when I'd uh, become a vicar there. Bob was a really good-looking, meaty guy, ex-SAS. Uh, he was in the Havant, um, uh, he was a Havant DI, he was a, a detective, and a real strong guy, quite antagonistic towards anything to do with Christianity. And what was really lovely, though, that over this hard guy who had quite a defense because of what he'd gone through, particularly in the forces, how Jesus just softened his heart And over a period of time, over a couple of years, he came to know Jesus for himself. And he's still following Jesus as a retired man. But he had a lovely relationship with Jesus. And he once said to me, it's like a thousand pounds has been lifted off my shoulder. He had peace with God. Guilt had been cleansed and taken away. Grace had come. Sin forgiven. And you see this peace here that it talks about in verse 10. It says, the peace that has come while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. We are reconciled. We have peace with God. If you don't know peace with God, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. I'd love to talk about how you can know that peace with God. Last week, three people discovered peace with God. They hadn't known peace with God. They now are at peace with God. And in relationship with him. It's a wonderful thing. Secondly, it says here, 
uh, which is glorious, we can know peace with God. If we have peace with God, it means that actually we should be able to approach life with peace in our hearts. Because we're right with the one who made us, therefore he knows what's right. Because secondly, we have access to God. Verse 2, it says, whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Now the Greek word for this, I'm going to try a bit of Greek on you, because I'm I haven't got a clue really about it, but I, I know enough uh, sort of to buy a kebab or a sivlaki or something like that. But um, bottom line is, this is enough Greek for you for today. But verse 2, it's not to impress you in any way because my Greek was always really poor. But it's a word called prosagoge, which is an interesting word. This is about um, access to God. The word access is prosagoge, which meant in that time to enter the presence of a king. That's the meaning behind it, prosagoge. The, the presence of a king. Can you believe that? The, the, the right to enter into the king's presence and speak, not just to go into the presence and stand there with a bunch of others, to speak to them face to face. I just, we just can't imagine the, the, the concept of that, can we? But actually with God himself, that's what we have. We have access because of Jesus into the presence of God each day. It's an incredible thing. And you can again imagine the Jewish leaders going, uh, readers going, what is happening here? What is going on? Because um, we're used to the idea of the temple where you could only go into the outer courts or you could only, if you're a, a woman or a man, you could only go into certain courts. And God was like distant and out there. You're saying that I can go right into your presence? That I can get up out of my for us, what's saving our life, our electric blanket, and run across and change and go downstairs and get a cup of tea and sit in my room, and I can come into the presence of the king and meet them face to face. That's what he's saying. We have access to him himself. When we know Jesus, we are admitted into the presence of God himself. A few years ago, a friend of mine, Tim, uh, uh, Tim was at college with me at university, and he became very good friends with Prince Edward. They, uh, they did drama together. They were in the same drama group they formed together. And um, uh, he, he knew him really well. Soon after that time at university, uh, Prince Edward invited him around for dinner. So he had dinner uh, one evening. That particular evening, he was due to go to Paris with a, uh, meet a bunch of friends over there on uh, Eurostar. And um, he enjoyed the meal or whatever because he was aware that he was going get, to have to get to St Pancras for 10 o'clock for the, for the, uh, the, the, the trip to, on Eurostar. Um, and uh, anyhow, he left at 9 o'clock from the palace, from Buckingham Palace, and went to the station. And um, he arrived there and he thought, where's the train? What's happened with the train? He asked around, what's happened? And the person said, well, the train's gone. It went at 8 o'clock. He said, I can't believe it. Look, here's my ticket. It says, it says 20... 20, 100 hours. I don't know whether anybody's ever done that themselves, but it's that weird thing that plays around the 8 and the 10 thing. Anyhow, so basically the train had gone. They fixed up another ticket for him. And they thought for himself, where am I going to stay? It's really late in the evening. What am I going to do? And he thought, I know. I've got a friend of mine, Edward. So he thought, right, okay. So he went back to Buckingham Palace. He knocked on the door. And the old police, the bill was there. Right? Who are you? Right? And he said, well, I'm uh, a friend of um, Prince Edward. 
They said, yes, thank you very much. Yes, we believe that, don't we, sir? Um, whatever. No, no, I am a friend. I am. No, 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 no. no, no. Why would we believe you? Um, well, can you just try and call him anyway and say, Tim's here. Tim's here. And he said, okay, I'll, I suppose I'll do it. Phones up, goes away, phones up. Comes back and says, well, sir, it seems to be true. You are a friend of Prince Edward. And uh, he was invited in, and he came in, and uh, Prince Edward gave him a room. They have a couple there. Uh, And uh, he had a room, and then had um, had breakfast, and then uh, caught his train to Paris. It's the most remarkable story. It's fantastic, and it is true. Um, And uh, he still keeps up with Edward. But the fact is, is, isn't that a, a glorious picture, really, of what it is for us? As children of God... We're friends with God. And that means that we can literally call him anytime. He says, come on in. Come on right in. Right into the presence of the queen in those days. Of the king. That is what you do, each one of us. Access to God. Hebrews 4.16. We boldly come into the throne of grace. Each day we should be running in saying, Lord, I want to talk to you about this. I've got this issue. I've got that issue. We have access to the king. It's a glorious, glorious thing. Thirdly, we have hope, the hope of glory. It says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice, it says here. We have a confident expectation that something will happen because God has said it will. What is the glory it's talking about here? Well, we fall short of the glory, it says in Romans 3.23. But it's about, you know, it's about, if you like, we can know God's presence, his shining radiance, that we will see Jesus face to face. What is glory talking about here is we have gained access into this grace um, and then we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What it's saying is that one day we will see him face to face. We can have access to him now, but one day we will see his glory fully. We want to see some of his glory here on this earth, don't we? We want to see more of his glory here. But one day it's saying here, we will definitely see the glory of God as manifested. I want you to know that I know that I'm going to see his glory. As Christians, we should be confident in that. We should be confident in that. As if we'd been there for 10,000 years, can we say it? If we were to die tonight, do you know for certain you would go to heaven and see his glory? That is what Paul is saying here. That is what Paul is saying here. But from that glory, what difference does knowing Christ make when life falls apart? Paul shifts from that prospect of glory to verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory... Or another word would be rejoice in our sufferings. The age-old question, what difference does knowing Christ know when life is rubbish? Where is Jesus then? When your marriage is on the rocks, when the cancer has returned, when the kids are in trouble, when the company makes you redundant. Where is God in this? Paul says here, rejoice in your suffering. Have you lost your mind, Paul? How can we rejoice in our suffering, in facing those things. How can we rejoice in those things? Well, it's interesting in that there's two little words in there. 
it says, um, we, uh, it says, not only so, but also glory in our sufferings because we know. Those words, we know. Elsewhere in Romans 8, it says this, we know that in all things, God works together for good. 8.28. It's that sense that we believe that God works for good and we have to radically trust him, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of those things. Could it be that even though we don't know why certain things happen, why the brakes failed, why the money didn't arrive, why our child struggles and other child's children don't seem to. That's the we don't know. But somehow we know that even though we don't understand fully, he's saying here, we know that God is doing something in us. And there is something about some of the most precious, precious people that I know in my life have actually not been the successful people, but they've been the people who've understood and know how to face suffering and recognize that God has a work that he's trying to do in and through those times. Maybe it could be that God wants to mature us and we rejoice in what God wants to accomplish in us. How does he do it in different ways? It says here, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, a bit more Greek, Greek um, hupomone, which means to bear up under. If you like, it's that call to stickability. I love the story in 1968 of a guy called, um, uh, he was called John Stephen um, Akwari. And he turned up to run the marathon and basically got injured in the race. And he came in about five hours after the winner. And someone asked the question, why have you finished the race? He said, look, I haven't traveled 7,000 miles just to turn up. I've, I've, I've turned up, I've come to finish the race. And there's that sense that sometimes God calls us into perseverance and sticking in there even when we don't understand what is going on around us. From perseverance, it brings character. Um, Dokime, which says proven character. It's like the silver ore that is passed through the fire and the dross is removed and Dokime is what's left. It felt like it's the real deal. That when we go through the fire, we persevere, then character grows I know those people in my life that have truly gone through the hard times are the ones that actually have, if you like, have shone with Jesus in the most amazing ways. From that, character produces hope. There's moments in my life when literally it's been hard, those trials, but ultimately I've been sustained by the hope that there is in Jesus. And final thing, really, assurance of God's love, which is the final thing. Verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame or to disappointment, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's love has been poured out through his Holy Spirit. That's why we need more of his Holy Spirit every day. It's like it's an ongoing verb It's going on there. He pours out his love daily through his Holy Spirit to each one of us. It's available to us, his love. And we say, Lord God, thank you for your love. And I hope in that love, that love which is so huge, which is so massive, which is so vast as the ocean, we sing sometimes. What a love. And you choose to surround us with it. You have shown, verse 8, God, 
your love, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And the challenge for us as we draw to a close is, we need to come to God just with arms open wide and say, I want more of you and your Holy Spirit in my life. The trouble is with many of us, we come to God like we've got a little thimble and we come to him and say, please, Lord, please, if you've got possibly anything you might want to give to me, maybe, because I'm such a weedy little worm. But what he's saying in Acts, he's saying, because of what I did for you, come to me, come to me. And open your arms that I may pour my love, my Holy Spirit into you every day. Thank you, Lord. Amen.